Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. It is time for another Swinty Fiction. Ba-da-ba-da. Yes. <laughs> no. We do need a new jingle. You're good at jingles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just want to say, I appreciate people who have reached out to me. There haven't been too many of you, but some of you have reached out to me and said, thank you. I like the fiction. Don't worry about it. Because uh, I always put this disclaimer in here. If this is not your thing... This is one segment we do of a million other things. It's true. And I just put that in there because I totally understand listening to a podcast and they try something new and you're like, no, wait, this is not what I signed up for. So this is a once a month-ish kind of thing. But I have really appreciated hearing from people who like it. Um, We really like fiction here. And it's a fun thing for us to do. And Christina always does such an amazing job with the sound design and everything. So, there's my fiction disclaimer that I put in all of these. If it's not your thing, don't worry about it. There's a lot of other stuff we do. You can skip it. It won't hurt my feelings. (laughs) So, this one I wrote based on an idea that I had that I've talked about before and actually I've written fiction about before for 13 Nights of Halloween on my fear of water cooler talk. And icebreakers. So, Samantha, I wanted to ask you, like, do you feel like you're good at water cooler talk, small talk? Is it something you enjoy, something you dread? How do you feel about it? It's according to what it's for. But typically, Mm -hmm. if I'm anticipating that we're going to have to do something, so let's say it's at the beginning of class and they say, we're going to start off with a warm-up or get-to-know-you exercise, and then someone starts, my heart races to the Mm -hmm. point that I can no longer speak. So, I really hate it. Typically, because I get very, very anxious. We've talked about how we've done panels and I'm ridiculously anxious to the point that I probably have blacked out on what just I just said. I have no idea what I've said. Mm-hmm. I've been told that I'm not bad at it. So that's the good news. Yeah. But I've been told that I talk very fast and I talk very fast when I get nervous. Yeah. It is. It is interesting for me because I know we've had a lot of talks on here about, um, especially during the pandemic, introverts versus extroverts uh, versus ambiverts. And I have come to the conclusion I'm very much an extrovert, but I'm also (laughs) very nervous and I'm very shy. So to me, water cooler talk it feels the same as a, as I'm on the top of a roller coaster before it's about to go down the hill. Like, it's literally, I don't know how this is going to go. Right. <laughs> but I'm going to try my best to make it good. Right. And there's also the element of women feeling like they have to entertain or make this conversation and make it good and make it funny and leave a good impression. Right. When you're at work, there's a whole other element to it as well of like, I've got to sell myself and be memorable. That's the other part is that I don't feel like people remember me unless I go overboard and become entertainment and I have to become entertainment often. And by the way, there's also that fine line of people have thought I was hitting on them when I was just joking and funny and I I was flirting. Like specifically, do you remember when we went down to Florida, one of our first conventions, a giant one, Mm -hmm. um, and I was just joking around with a door man, really just thanking him for a service, teasing him a little bit and moving on. And I thought it was no big deal because 
I could tell that we are we as a group were annoying, loud. There was tons of us, uh, so I was coming entertaining. And then he asked me if I wanted to go home with him that night yep. because not only did he read into it, but his colleagues, who I was equally talking to as well, mm-hmm. was telling him that I was I wanted him, quote unquote. And I'm like, my God. I was just hanging out, and actually that's happened to me a lot, and it happened to me two more times at that convention because we were talking to booth people, and I was just being nice, and we were told to go and invite people to our party. They took that as a date. So it was weird. Like, I have both of those, like, anxieties now Mm -hmm. because I don't... I feel like I'm not overtly sexy or flirty, so therefore I am safe to talk to people in a friendly manner, Mm -hmm. but I've been taught otherwise. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point to bring up. For women, that's another tightrope that we have to walk. Is like, yes. you want to be... Why is it somebody told me you have to be like, pretend you could be attracted to this man you're talking to in theory. Yeah. But also not too much. But he has to believe you think he is attracted. He has a chance. Yes, exactly. He has a chance. Exactly. Just a little bit. So it makes sense to me that we would have this tension around... Uh, water cooler talk or small talk uh, for a lot of reasons for women, where, whether it is like, oh, I have to entertain or, oh, I really have to put a lot of energy into making this man's ego feel okay, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, for my job. But then it can backfire uh, in terms of that being seen as, uh, oh, you want to date me, yes? No. 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 So this story was something I wrote based on... I've said it before. I've said it a million times. I just have so much trouble sleeping. And so it kind of became a thing that was weird at work because I am friends with most of the people we work with, like actual friends. And it kind of became this odd situation where people who I work with, who are also my friends, Mm -hmm. would ask me... How are you sleeping lately? Like, what's what's your sleep situation? Because they knew it was such a struggle for me. And it's not like I hid it. I was very open about it. But it was just kind of sleeping feels so intimate in a lot of ways. Right. And so it was strange to be like waiting for your coffee to brew. And then, <laughs> you know, a coworker slash friend come up to you. But it's in this workspace and asking you like, how'd you sleep? <laughs> yeah. Wait, are you just, talking about me? No, but no. Because I do. (laughs) You do. But I don't think you ever asked me, like, while I was waiting for my coffee to get ready at work, though. We haven't had that many situations on that level. Yeah, and even then, like, it's not... I was never offended or mad or... There was nothing about it. Like, it was just kind of odd. It was just kind of an odd situation. And it got me thinking about water cooler talk in general and how it's sort of this whole social thing where we're all kind of trying to find something that won't make people mad, that's easy to talk about. So it's sort of a performative thing. And then for women, that performance is different. And then for me specifically, who I guess I'm very open and vulnerable, and I'm very, I am very extroverted, and I will tell you all kinds of things about my life. And to the point it was getting, people were asking me how it was sleeping at work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just was kind of an odd moment. So I, I came up with this idea about what if that was a, com- like it wasn't just me, but what if like we all gave up? Because a lot of people would tell me, I wish I could be you. I wish 
I didn't have to sleep as much as I do. Oh, I wish I could stay up as as long as you do. And I just got right. this idea in my head, like, what if that was an option you could take? And we all took it. And then, of course, because I watch a lot of horror movies, <laughs> how could that go terribly wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course. So with all of that context in mind, let us get into the fiction portion mm-hmm. for this story called Super Void. My dad used to say, be the architect of your own dreams. My dreams were nightmares. Ever since I was a kid, violent, disturbing things that lingered, that ripped screams from my throat, that woke all in the vicinity, brought them running, hearts racing, as I was engulfed in the dizzying moment of not knowing what was real and what wasn't. The uncertainty was terrifying. I would lay in bed at night praying to anyone that would listen that I wouldn't fall asleep. I could swear someone was there, that I could feel their presence, hear their breath. My heart pounded. My parents took me to a sleep clinic. Sticky notes were attached to my body, umbilical cords linking me to machines, and I was told to sleep. (laughs) Of course I didn't. I laid awake, staring into the darkness and thinking that whatever possibly awaited me in the shadows was better than whatever awaited me in sleep. They prescribed me sleeping pills, but all they did was trap me in a nightmare realm of monsters and fire and screaming, a realm I was certain I would one day not wake from. I did everything I could not to sleep. Everything in my life revolved around it, and everything in my life suffered for it. So, when I was in my 20s and I was contacted about participating in a drug trial for a pill that eliminated the need for sleep, I jumped on it. My salvation, I thought. This could change my life. It did. Just not in the way I thought. The architect of my own dreams... I think about that a lot. It's strange looking back. White rooms, white beds, white sheets, white pills. Day after day, white, white, white. Sterile, lonely, silent. They'd give me the pill and I'd take it as they watched, so desperate for it to work. The nightmares faded. The crushing weight on my chest faded. It worked. It worked. I didn't need to sleep. A dream come true. For a while, everything was perfect. A dream. A living, waking dream. I suppose that's the key. I never slept, but I never felt truly awake either. I considered this an improvement at first. I had to keep a journal for the trial about my experience. The entries got progressively lifeless. People always talk about what they would do with more time, how much they'd accomplish if they didn't have to sleep. I didn't accomplish anything. 
I just stared into the dark, the memory of my nightmares screaming in the back of my brain. Even though I wasn't sleeping, they hungered for me. And perhaps I hungered for them, as if I didn't know how to exist without them. But that's not the worst of it. As weeks went by, I started going into trances. The line between reality and not blurred. Or maybe it's more accurate to say nothing felt like reality at all. It felt like dying. Like slipping away and being too tired to care. I tried to knock myself out, drink myself into oblivion. I tried the sleeping pills. That's when I discovered it. In the darkness of unconsciousness, under the layers of nightmares, something worse lay in wait. Dormant, eager, a primordial, consuming void. Staring into that was more terrifying than any nightmare I'd ever had. A gaping, black, maw, waiting, hungry. I couldn't look away from it, though I so desperately wanted to. It was mesmerizing in its unending nothingness, the horror of it alluring, tempting with its dark embrace, its promise of folding you up and swallowing you whole and never letting you go. I traded one nightmare for another breed of horror. I was so lonely. Even when people were around, I felt isolated. I felt as though the void had claimed me for its own, and every second it was eating away at me, dissolving me until I was immaterial. Nothing. Sometimes I fantasized about sleeping, about the nightmares. I'd ask people to tell me about their dreams, and I'd try to visualize them, but it gave me no relief. I would debate about what was worse. Horrific images seared into my brain or... Nothingness. Vast, all-consuming nothingness. My mind changed, depending on my mood. Some days I wanted to die. Oh, please, I think. Take me. End this waking nightmare. Was it death? Was I seeing the other side? Or was it my brain misfiring, deprived of its need to dream? Or something else? Was it real? The void was silent, but it felt like it was screaming. It felt like if I screamed into it, I would make no sound. I surrender. I think, looking at it, I surrender. The void wanted me, and I wanted it. The relief of being nothing was overwhelming and horrifying in itself. As the days went on, I stared into the void longer and longer. Nothing else mattered but the void. I'll die and I don't care. That's the price I paid. The trade I made for getting rid of my nightmares. Where I once avoided sleep, I now sought it out, an elusive gift I'd forsaken. 
I'd marvel at how I'd taken it for granted. The researchers sent me a letter months after the trial. I scanned it. Side effects, hallucinations, psychotic breaks, death, a phone number to call, a website to visit. But I knew the truth. The medication had unlocked something in me, something that exists in all of us. The ability to see. To see the truth of our existence and what we can expect when it ends. Nothing. It's all meaningless. The void waits for me. It waits for you. And it will have us, and we will be nothing too. I am not the architect of my dreams. I am just like everyone else who is trying to ignore the reality that the void is more powerful than any of us. It doesn't care about any of us. It will devour us and everyone we love. And we will all be forgotten and none of it matters anyway. I've seen it. And one day you will see it too. Maybe you already have. Sweet dreams. And that brings us to the end of the fiction portion of Supervoid. I can, it's funny because I wrote all these pretty like around the same time and I can, I love an ending where it's like, and now you're next. Because uh, this is like the second one I've done. <laughs> also say so you do a lot of just like lingering what ifs. Yes, yes. I love a good like uncomfortable. Dum, dum, it's coming for you. Cliffhanger. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I write a lot of stuff that I know people would find annoying because it's angsty and it ends terribly. But anyway, (laughs) so as I said, I really like titles for things that are kind of based on technology or or some other thing, but has what I think a broader cultural context. So this is actually named after, this is a long story, but to condense it, I basically (laughs) got a check from a bank that that has super void over it. And it was because Uh-oh. they couldn't prove I existed. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and it's a whole thing. But uh, I remember looking at that check and it said super void and thinking, do I exist? <laughs> what is existence? No. <laughs> um, so that's where the title came from. We have talked a lot about how trauma and PTSD affects sleep. And how this whole story is basically about like the struggle to sleep. And then when you, I guess our idea around sleeping being almost a weakness or a luxury or or something, or it'd be better if we couldn't sleep. But for me, I have this like flight or flight reflex around sleep. That's my therapist says. And when she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, that is it. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Because it's less of a can't sleep and more of like, I'm almost there, and then my my body's like, nope, nope, we're not going to do it. (laughs) So that's where kind of this whole idea came from. And I did struggle. I don't have nightmares so much as anymore. We've talked a lot about, I have really vivid dreams, but um, I did have a lot of nightmares when I was younger, like really vivid nightmares that would make me afraid to sleep. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of where that inspiration 
came from. And I talked to my parents about it once and it was just a weird thing where I could tell they were like unsure what to do with me. <laughs> or there, I was like, I'm having, these, I'm telling you, I'm having these dreams. And they were kind of like, hmm, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I have never done a sleep study. I have a lot of friends who have done it and they described it to me. And to me, they kind of described what my concern is about it, which is that you would feel like you're in a horror movie almost. <laughs> like you wouldn't be able to sleep. Yeah. So I, yeah. that's one of the reasons I haven't done it. But that was also an inspiration for this story. Nice. And that's not to say like there's anything wrong with them at all. But just I personally think I would never, ever be able to relax in a sleep study enough to sleep. Right. Uh, I've heard that from different people with different types of sleep studies and how you're in a box, you're being watched. And also you probably need someone there constantly. Like there were so many things to the sleep studies. And I'm like you, I had a lot of trauma based sleep uh, disturbances as a kid and not so much now. I still have some stress stuff, but sleepwalking, which is also a big form of uh, mm -hmm. reaction to trauma. And again, my parents not recognizing this is trauma. She just got adopted and she is walking all over the place. In like, it's funny right now, but we're also able to watch her. But this could have been a sign that there's a yeah. deeper traumatic level, which as an adult reading about it, I was like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Was, uh, yeah. Kids should not be that highly stressed and or there's mm. a sleeping disorder that we need to talk about. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And I we've done a couple episodes recently about how women who typically experience higher rates of PTSD and trauma are having higher rates of insomnia or are sleeping disruptions, sleeping disorders. And I think that that was a part of my whole thought process with this, which was, there are a lot of reasons for this. But when I told people that I was having these bad dreams, I've ha I was having these nightmares. Um, and this kind of ties into a recent conversation we had about superstition. It, I was very much dismissed as in, like, you have no reason to have that. Like, what, what in your life, would, what reason... Could it be that you would be having this? And just feeling very disoriented about it because I was having it. Like, I just was. Whether you knew the reason, whether there was yeah. a reason. Like, I was having them. But it was very much like, just <laughs> so, so stop it, almost. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And then I guess that translates into my fear around fun facts and water cooler talk. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yes, this is, uh, I hope you enjoyed this other Sminty Fiction edition. Uh, we have a lot more. Most of these, I will admit, have been kind of short horror single person narration. And that's because I wrote a lot of them for that kind of format. <laughs> but we have other things coming on the horizon. <laughs> so... Look out for that. Yeah. Uh, yes. In yeah. the meantime, oh my goodness. If you would like to email us any of your ideas about what we could do, any like fiction that's in the public domain we could read, that'd be awesome. Ooh. You can do that. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina, without these. This would be impossible. Impossible. She is a magic maker. She is a magic maker. <laughs> and thanks to you all for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 